The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maidservants and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. What a story. If it occurred in our day, I wonder how journalists would write their headlines to get you to read it. Maybe it would be, senior citizen pimps out his 65-year-old wife for his own gain. That's not exactly how it went down, but that's the way headlines are, right? Our story today actually begins at the end of the previous chapter, which says, Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, which was his son that had died, his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there and lived there till the old man died at the ripe old age of 205 years. He died there in Haran, not having obeyed the call of God. We're on a journey through the book of Genesis, looking at the roots of the gospel. And in our text today, it reads, The Lord had said to Abram, 
So previous to what we read, the Lord had said, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And how true it is, in spite of their suffering, the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah have blessed the world. Israel alone has invented hundreds of things that we enjoy, many of them every day or so. There's something in our life that was created in Israel. Even our church website, the Wix.com site, awesome program, awesome setup they have there, the best of templates, came from Israel. Here's a little video highlighting some of the Israelis' inventions. Maybe you've benefited from one or two of these. example of some of them. God continues in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That statement is the gospel in a nutshell. Because in Abraham is seed that eventually would produce the Son of God on his mother's side. Galatians 3, 6 says, Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, so then understand that those who believe are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith proclaimed the gospel to Abraham ahead of time, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who believe are blessed along with Abraham, the believer. Before the law, before circumcision, before he ever paid tithe, he was justified. He was made righteous by faith. We're going to see in our story, he wasn't always a man of faith. His faith would waver, but eventually he would come to the place where he did not stagger at the promise of God 
And Hebrews 11 would say things like, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place which he would receive as an inheritance, go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Now, he wasn't a nomad. Some people thought that God called a nomad to follow him. No, he became a nomad, as it were. He was an inhabitant of the Ur of Chaldees, a bunch of moon worshipers. And God called him to leave that comfortable place. That's where the bathtub was invented. Some folks there had indoor plumbing. Called to go to the land of Canaan. And on the way, going up, you know, the comfortable banks of the Euphrates River, they stop in Haran and live there. Comfortably, no doubt, to leave and become a nomad, camping out for the rest of his life. Verse 4, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and all the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the territory of Moreh. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. It was at this very place, over 500 years later, where his descendants would gather while conquering Canaan land. And Joshua called them together, and as recorded in the last chapter of Joshua, chapter 24, he gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and they presented themselves to the Lord, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I, keep in mind he's saying, Thus said the Lord, Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, the Euphrates, led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. How did he multiply his descendants? Just gave him one son. It's by faith, folks. When God says it, you can consider it done. So God said it, and here comes the miracle child, Isaac, after some years of testing. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward I brought you out. Here you are. We have history in this place, going all the way back to Abraham and his father. This history is significant for us. So back to our text. Verse 8. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and 
called on the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. So he's exploring his future homeland by faith. Now in his natural lifetime, he never owned a piece of ground there, except for the grave he bought for his wife. Can we say faith? Verse 10, now there was a famine, uh uh-oh, in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Oh, thank you. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, and they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. He's not thinking of the consequences of this crazy idea, but this would put him in a bargaining position for the head of his wife as his brother. He could negotiate a deal, right, rather than a husband of a good-looking woman. His life was in danger in those days. Keep in mind, Sarai was 65 years old. No doubt a miracle was happening in her health for the day to come years later for her to have a baby. So it was, verse 14, when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house, just as Abram feared. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants. Female servants. Oswald Chambers thought during his life that one of those female servants was a gal named Hagar. Uh Uh-oh. Going to be some problems there. Female donkeys and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. For her sake, he was faithful. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. I don't know what happened. If everybody in the house got a rash except Sarai, but it was obvious to him through the sickness that had hit them that this woman needed to be honored. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had, all that stuff. What a story. What a story. Hebrews 11 says that... uh, Sarai received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. I'd like to speak to you today on the faithfulness of the Almighty. Can we say faithfulness? He is faithful when we're not. He is the faithful one. God gave Abram one command, 
Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. He didn't do it immediately. And when he did do it, it wasn't, it wasn't totally the way God told him to. Get out of your country. He did that. They left Chaldees, but they didn't go to the land that he showed them immediately. Get away from your family, from your father's house. No, he hung out with daddy until daddy died. And it wasn't like there were other members of the house that couldn't take care of dad in his elder years. And he takes a relative with him into the promised land, his nephew Lot. He made him seven promises. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. Can you say blessed to be a blessing? When God blesses us, that's not the end of the story. We are channels of his blessing to others. He blesses us so we, like Abraham, can be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And here's the gospel. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Next observation. Abram's obedience was delayed and partial. He departed as the Lord had spoken to him years later. Some commentaries say 25 years later. I'm not sure where they got that. If you know that, let me know. And Lot went with him. So taking family with him, that was not a good thing. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, which was where he had gone to rather than Canaan. God confirmed his promise after Abram's obedience. So he arrives in the land of Canaan. They come to the land of Canaan. He passes through the land of Canaan, and the Lord appears to him and says, to your descendants, I will give this land. To your descendants, I will give this land. I think as Americans, we do not have enough of a generational perspective on life. We think of our generation. You look at the way our politics operates. It's all about our generation. Nobody's thinking about who's going to pay that huge problem called debt. Somebody's got to pay that one day. God has his eyes on our future, on our generations, and and we kind of are that way with our forefathers. If I asked for a show of hands, the majority of us would not be able to raise their hand and say they know the full name of their great-grandfather and their great-grandmother. We do our grandparents, but just somehow through death, we just lose. There's so much new stuff happening, more exciting than knowing our history, we lose this generational aspect of that. I'm not going anywhere with this. I'm just making some observations. Abram set up camp between Bethel and Ai, and he builds an altar to the Lord. Now, I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but this is a metaphor for something I do want to make a point about. Bethel means house of God. Jacob would visit this place years later and name it Bethel, the house of God. He would have an encounter with God there and name it Bethel, and then years later, he would go back and name it El Bethel, God of the house of God realizing the importance of God in intervening in his life. So the tent is set up between Bethel 
and ai or i or hi or hey it means heap of ruin israel 500 plus years later would encounter a defeat at this place at the hands of their enemies because of sin in the temple now how is this a metaphor for us well sometimes we set up a camp between light and darkness between God and ruin, between the house of God and the heap of ruin. You ever live on the fence? Joseph Pilgrim had a dream slash vision and understanding that became a parable that he tells to our students. That there is a, a fence in this story that had a lot of people sitting on it. On one side of the fence were people entering into the kingdom of God and God's will. The other side of the fence were people entering into the kingdom of Satan and the devil's will. And so he's pondering the fence, and the devil walked up to him and says, hey, I own that fence. So in the area of decisions, indecision is a decision. Jesus said, follow me. We either follow him or we don't. Put our hands to the plow and look back. We're not fit for the kingdom is what he said. Well, I've got to go do this. I've got to go do that. I've bought a piece of land. I need to go, I need to go honor. Remember those parables he told about the importance of the kingdom in our life? So if you're living on the fence, God is calling you to choose today because you're living on the dark side. You're not walking in the light that he's called us to walk. Amen. All right. Back to the story. While journeying, their faith is tested. Uh-oh. So imagine you're going through the land of promise. There's some scary things, but there's some encouraging things. The future. And then this happens. As he journeyed going still toward the south, there was a famine in the land. Uh-oh. Didn't see that coming. Have you ever attempted to do the will of God and, oh, surprise, here's opposition. Well, God, I thought you led me to do this. I thought you told me to tell my boss about Jesus, and now I'm fired. Opposition always comes when we do God's will. If you've had a vision from God and heard an audible voice, he's not going to reveal to you the whole picture. There's going to be blank spaces, and that's the temptation to use our imagination to fill in the blanks, to connect the dots. And the dots are connected, but they're not always connected with the straight lines that you and I would like to connect them with. So there's things we go through in life. Part of life, famines happen. All right, so what does he do? He goes down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. Should he have gone there? Some people say he should have stood there in faith. He should have toughed it out. But nobody says he should have gone back to Haran. So he's, he's moving forward. He's scouting out the future territory that his children will live in one day. It wasn't part of the promise yet. We'll see later on when he makes a covenant with God, God tells him about this incident that will happen with his children being enslaved. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you're a woman of beautiful countenance. She's a good-looking woman. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you, that they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, 
but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, that I may live because of you. We don't know if Sarai argued with him. We don't know if she said, wait a minute, what about the audible voice? What about the appearance of God? What about us having descendants that will be more numerous than the, that part of the promise hadn't come yet? What about that? His faith wavered. Would you not agree? But one day he would be strong, so strong that when God would tell him to offer up that miracle child as a sacrifice, he would do it all the way up to the point of actually following through because he knew God was able to provide a substitute, which is what happened, or to raise his son up from the dead. That's a man of faith. But at this point of the story, he wasn't. God was faithful while Abram was not. The Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Maybe all his wives had headaches. I don't know what happened to Pharaoh, but anyway. Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here's your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. What a story. And we say it together. One, two, three. The story illustrates a principle that when it comes to God's will being done in our life, he is faithful even when we are not. God is faithful when we are not. He is faithful. He is true. And there may be some folks here today that because of some form of unfaithfulness, you feel like you've been disqualified from God's will, God's promise, to your life being true, no longer true because of what you did. And you may even quote this verse, 2 Timothy 2, 2. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Yeah, well, I denied him, and so, you know, I'll just make it into the kingdom by the skin of my teeth or whatever. But read the rest of the text. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Why? Because we're worthy? No. He cannot deny himself. It's who he is. Faithful one. So unchanging. The old hymn that George Beverly Shea sang that caused Billy Graham to recruit him to be part of his team Never gets old. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness, 
Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Great is thy faithfulness. He's the faithful one. The Lord is faithful, 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil we're talking about our calling. In 1 Thessalonians 5, the writer writes, Faithful is he who calls you, who also will do it. He's faithful. And because he's faithful, even if you have been unfaithful, you can repent and get up and pursue his will with all your heart, and he can take your mess created by unfaithfulness, and turn it into a message. He can take the test that we failed and turn it into a testimony. So stop wallowing in unbelief and beating yourselves up and trying to be your own judge. There's only one judge, and he is faithful. And he is revealed to us as loving. And so, get up. He didn't go into shock when you made the mess. He didn't throw up his hands and say, I give up when you derailed. He's faithful. And because he's faithful, you and I can become faithful if we will believe in his faithfulness. And like Sarai, can see the will of God that others would say is impossible. She'll never do anything like that, or he'll never do that. He can. Because he is faithful. Faithfulness is something that we honor in our culture. It's a value that the Marines hold. Semper Fidelis, always faithful, always having fidelity in home. Somebody told me when I asked, you know, do you know the source of that? He says, you'll have to ask someone in the Navy. There are faithful servants that you respect. Talk to them. Were they always faithful? Hear their story of restoration and be encouraged. Don't just look at the conclusion of matters. Look at the Look at the history of the matter. This is why reading biographies is so awesome because you see people's pitfalls, their failures, their stumblings. They're getting back up and moving forward. In 1980, a woman won 
the marathon in Boston in record time. People were suspicious because she was unknown as a marathon runner, and they did some checking, and no other marathons, definitely in Boston, had she run. How did this happen? Well, they did some more digging and some detective work and discovered she ran the first few miles and then took the subway 16 miles, took a break, and then finished. That's not a demonstration of faithfulness. She finished, but she really didn't want to run the race, right? So in Christ, we're secure. We're going to finish, but we want to run our race. We want to be faithful. And it starts in little things, little things. I read a story recently uh, told by a pastor in North Dakota. I mean, if you're from North Dakota, you are just tough. And an elderly lady in his congregation fainted in one service, and in going down, her head hit the edge of the pew. Bang! And everybody could hear it. And EMT in the congregation quickly called the emergency services, and the ambulance arrived, and they're putting her on the gurney. They're strapping her in, and she comes to. And everybody's somewhat relieved. She could be dying. She motions for her daughter to come to her, and she whispers in her ear, my offering's in my purse. That's faithfulness. That's being faithful in little things. I feel like I'm in a room full of giant killers. What giants are you facing? What challenges are you facing? Well, I... I, I Face the lion and the bear, but Goliath scares me. You know what David did with Goliath's head? He cut it off with Goliath's sword. He took that head for a walk. You know where he took the head? To Jerusalem. What was Jerusalem? It was not Israeli territory yet. But one day as king, it would become Israeli territory. He took that trophy for a walk to look at his next giant. So maybe you've had some great victories. I've done my time. But could it be that God's not done with you? Abraham was 75 years old and he ain't about to have a kid yet. His wife was 65. They had more giants to face, more challenges to face, to go through. God's not done with you till you breathe your last. If a book was written about your life, would anybody want to read it? Would there be any adventure in there? Would it just all be safe and comfort and happily ever after? I mean, nobody even enjoys the fairy tales where there's not some conflict and resolution, right? Let's pray. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray, Lord, that they would not rest on their laurels, having seen great victory, but that, Lord, they would look forward to understanding what you're calling them to do now. What's the next giant? What's the next challenge? And I pray, Lord, for those that have maybe experienced a measure of defeat or unexpected discouragement and they haven't been faithful, 
I pray, Lord, that in their unfaithfulness, they would cry out to you, the faithful ones, and that they would begin to follow you because of your faithfulness. May they be made faithful to do what you call them to do, no matter how great, no matter how small. In the name of Jesus. Lord, as we worship you, Lord, we want to be aware that you have a will to be done and a mission to be done on earth, and we are part of that. Help us, Lord, to heed your call each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Holding him closer, close to your heart. May I be a pure reflection of all you are. Love that is patient and love that is kind. A love that keeps no fences or wrongs in mind. Make me like Jesus. 
shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And may you become faithful like your Lord. Amen. And may you face those challenges with new courage like never before. And not take a break from doing great things because you've done a bunch of great things. You know, when David took a break, it wasn't a good thing. <laughs> God bless you. Go get him, Tiger. My heart is an open space. Have your 